I wanted to make sure we give credit to Adam Grant, who is a wonderful organizational psychologist who has great material on how we can better communicate our thoughts and opinions. You will find some of his specific theories mentioned during the podcast, such as using agree to disagree at the start of the conversation, differentiating between our opinions versus our identity, and even determining if someone is looking to argue or wanting to inquire about our opinions. These will lead back to his theories and the foundation that he has set with his work. If you would like to find out more about Adam Grant, please visit his website at www.adamgrant.net. What was also mentioned as well was the five love languages, and this is by Gary Chapman, which can also be found at www.5lovelanguages.com using the number five. Again, that's www.5lovelanguages.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our show, Let's Talk Mental Health, where we'll be discussing all aspects of mental health and wellness and how it impacts our physical health. We'll share stories and speak with behavioral health experts to normalize conversations around mental health and the need for occasional support. Our goal is to reduce stigma and provide our listeners with the tools and resources you need to lead physically and mentally healthy lives. I'm your host, Mary Renoff, and today I'm speaking with Anna Wynn, licensed marriage and family therapist for the Behavioral Health and Primary Care Integration Program at Providence's St. Joseph Mission Heritage Center in California. Today we're tackling the topic of how to agree to disagree. Lately, this seems like an important skill to have with so many friends and family having very different viewpoints on things going on in the world. So let's get started by welcoming Anna back to our show. Welcome. Well, Anna, you're a pro at joining us on this conversation. So let's get started, though, with the easy one like we always do. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your role at Providence. I always love being here. So, of course, thank you again for having me. I am a licensed marriage family therapist. I work for our behavioral health integration program, our mental health institute, and we do short-term therapy. I'm also part of our COVID long callers clinic as well just to be able, and my role is to be able to help with some of the behavioral aspect of what a person might be experiencing part of their long hauler symptoms, because as we know, there's so many overlapping parts of it. So I love what I do. I love the opportunity I get to talk about it. So thank you so much for having me. Always. We love having you. I mean, you always have great insights and uh, you, you always have a lot to contribute to the show. And in fact, today we're talking about agreeing to disagree, which came up in our last show when we were talking about how to combat negativity, how to handle stressful family situations and so forth. So let's talk a little bit about that. It seems like there's a lot happening in the world today and it's really separating us as a society, but also as a family unit. So is, I mean, maybe maybe I'm making that up. It feels like that. Is it true or is that just a perception? It's 100% true, especially during the pandemic. Every Everyone was isolated. You know, everyone had more time to look up what was going on in the news, what was going on in the world, and emotions were running around with it. So I felt, especially during the pandemic, it definitely got worse. But of course, you know, agreeing to disagree, this is something that's been in existence for forever. So I, I love this topic and I love the fact that we are going to be able to address it. Well, I mean, I think we say agree to disagree a lot when we really just want to end a conversation, right? Like, I don't want to fight with you anymore. I just want to move on. But there is a healthy conflict, right? Let's talk about that because we don't want to just not have conflict. We don't want to not just, you know, have a conversation, but we actually do want to, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to say beat a dead horse, but there is a moment in time where you just have to say, I agree, disagree. So let's talk about conflict. Let's talk about, is it healthy? Is it not healthy? How- relationship, any friendship, it's, it's, 
probably part of our work environment. It's always present and it's really up to us to get to a place where we have to really be familiar with our values, our beliefs. We have to know the types of people in our lives who we choose to include, and we have to know the types of conversations to have. I love that you brought up the agree to disagree is more of a conversation under. I actually think it really should be a conversation starter because if we always say agree to disagree, it's almost like we're tired and we're exhausted and we're just throwing in the towel. But when we say agree to disagree, really, if we're having this thoughtful conversation, it should be about wanting to understand someone's thoughts and wanting to understand um, how we feel and and are we open enough to be able to take in some information that maybe we didn't know. I think it's important too to talk about it because I say this a lot to my family. We don't have to agree to get along, right? I want to hear your thoughts. I want to understand where you're coming from. We might never see eye to eye and that's totally fine. And I have a lot of family members who are like, it's not fine. You need to understand what I'm saying and you need to change your opinion. I'm like, oh, but I don't really. I mean, at what point do we say that though? Like, I hear you, but you haven't changed my mind. So I think we should, you know, move on. One of the reasons why I, I love talking about this, it's because this whole conversation is basically in the gray area and it's not black and white at all. So it completely depends on each person and we can break it down to, to the people in our lives, who we want to share it with and how we want to approach these topics. One of the themes I've seen overall is a lot of people have started to create their identity around their opinions. And so when anyone disagrees with them or their opinion, it's almost like you're disagreeing with who I am as a person and that feels offensive. But one of the most helpful things is if we start to break it apart that I am who I am and I have my own values and this is my opinion, my opinion can grow, it can change unless it's, it's really what we call a non-negotiable topic which we feel so 100% strongly about a topic that we know no one is going to change our minds and we stick to it entirely. And then we have topics that we are a little more in the gray area. We don't necessarily know about it 100%. We're a little more open to it. But the problem is if we start to really merge our identity and our opinions, then every topic, every disagreement feels personal to us. And that's really where the problem is. I'm glad you just said that, though, because that's one of my major questions for you is how do we not take conflict personally? Because I think a lot of times, especially in the social media space, right, people make it an attack, right? Like you post something and then they just go after you. But I think when you're having a conversation, it's a little bit easier to, to know whether somebody's really taking an attack form on you or not. But how do we not take it personally? The idea is, and it's really tough all around, because I always say, if someone punches you, it's going to hurt. You know, if someone attacks you, it's going to hurt and it doesn't take away some of the pain. But one of the best things that we can do for ourselves, and it's tough because especially the Internet is probably one of the worst uh, places to argue. But what we found is, you know, they will attack who you are, even if they don't know you, because a lot of people know that if we start to attack people for who they are, it hurts more. And for the sake of wanting to hurt someone, that's what they are probably going to do. But it's different because you want to start to weed out who are the people in our lives who are not open to hearing what we think and what we have to say versus people who are just fighting to fight, people who just want to reinforce what they believe and they are not open to hearing at all. One of the best um, questions I've heard is if you're talking to someone and you're in this argument or conflict, one of the best indicators is to ask is there anything in this moment that could change your mind? And if the answer is no, then you know that they're set in their ways. There's no use to really talking about it. But if you 
if they answer that question really thoughtfully to say, you know, well, if A and B were to change about this situation, I think I would be a little more comforted in knowing um, the security of my family, you know, whatever topic it may be. But if they were to give some insight on the, the gray area of, I would change my mind if certain things were to happen, if certain things were to change, then you know you're having more of a productive conversation versus a conversation where it's just butting heads for the sake of it. Let me ask you a question about being an active participant in it because I'm gonna give you an example. A family member of mine and a friend of mine had this like ongoing disagreement in social and it started to get really personal and they would be putting facts, right? They would be typing the facts in there. And I finally jumped in, right? I never said anything along. I was like, I don't think you guys are ever going to get to a point where you see eye to eye on this, but at this point you're starting to get mean to each other. And I would rather we just agree to disagree and be kind, right? And both of them were like, butt out. <laughs> like, oh, okay. So is there a point though, when you see a conflict or you see this kind of thing happening amongst your friends or family that you should insert yourself or is it better to remain uh, just a innocent bystander? So it depends. I think in your, your current situation with those two people, if they are both set in their ways, if this is their non-negotiable topic, right, they're not going to change, but they continue to fight with each other, I'm sure at some point it's going to fizzle out. They will get exhausted. Someone will stop. You know, feelings will get hurt. Their relationship might might suffer damage, but that's entirely up to them. A lot of times we want to make sure we do not insert ourselves right in the middle of someone else's conflict when it has nothing to do with us. We can express, you know, both parties are going to get hurt. You guys are set in your ways. And it just makes sense to, of course, just to accept either person. This is where they're at and we can still get along with them. However, when we insert ourselves in the middle, a lot of times what happens is if you start to create a triangle in relationships, so you have two people and then you insert yourself and you create that triangle, some of that tension is going to be transferred to you. And we want to make sure that that doesn't happen. Interesting. I mean, I don't want to stay on social for too long, but I do want to actually ask you this because a lot of times I'll see, and it's not necessarily me, but I'll be following friends commentary and they'll say to somebody like, well, if you disagree with me, unfollow me. Right. But that to me is kind of like, it's like you were saying, we have to have things that we're not willing to negotiate or really change, but other things, like if you unfriend somebody, you're missing a whole other part of their life. So what do you say to people who kind of have that almost visceral reaction or go zero to 60 or it's black and white, like they can't kind of see in the middle? How do you get people back to that middle ground of this is not worth losing a relationship over? I always ask the question of, you know, which would you regret more? Would you regret losing this friendship or would you regret taking the time to talk to them and get an idea of what they think? Are they open to hearing what you think? Which one would you regret more? You know, a lot of times if they say, I don't really know this person very well, not worth it. Okay. As long as there are more pros for you in this and there are cons, then that's always going to be the driving force. But if we do that to everyone in our lives, that gets, that gets to be really tricky because we don't want to surround ourselves with people who only support what we think all the time, 100%. We want to be able to hear things that are difficult. The idea in having a conversation about conflict as well, or things we just disagree on, is we shouldn't have conversations to change other people's minds, but we should be able to add to the information pool that they have, and then they get to choose what they do with it. Our, our job really is just to say, that's really interesting that you think that way. Have you also considered A, B, and C? I think that's also something that ties into it. And leave it at that. We're not expecting them to change. We're not expecting them to do anything with it. And if they decide to consider it, 
and have more information to choose from, that's completely up to them. But it takes the pressure off of us of trying to change everyone and, and conform it to the way that we think. I like that. I have a couple of friends who are celeb slash influencers. And that's the one thing they always say is, I love that you'll just tell me. You'll tell me I'm acting like an idiot. You'll tell me like you're not just going <laughs> to agree with me all the time. I'm like, well, that's my job. Um, question that we we talked about ahead of this, we, we actually sourced some questions from people, but was how do you continue to emotionally connect with someone when you have extreme differences or when these disagreements continue to happen over and over again? We want to take a look at the core values you know, what brought you two together? Usually we pick people who we have shared values with. Maybe it's not the same opinions. Maybe it's not the same actions or decisions, but usually there's some sort of shared values. I'll give you an example. If we really value, let's say passion, um, even if you disagree with someone, usually we can agree that they are pretty passionate about the topic that they're talking about. Even if we don't agree with anything they say, the fact that they're so passionate about it um, ties it to what are some of the core values that you and this person have together? And does it tie back to that? Is that the constant kind of the foundation of your friendship? If it's not, then it could be time to reevaluate to see what is the foundation of your friendship? You know, what what is it based on? Do you have the important things in common that you want to? For some people, they really value having the same beliefs and values. For, so for some people, they really value having a similar mindset. So for you and each person, it's important to think, what do I really value in relationships? And how do I want to pick the people who surround me? It's interesting because when you do, and I'm going to go back to social media, but even just in general, when you talk about things like politics or religion or whatever, you really start to see, especially in social, I'll realize, well, this is my family versus these are my friends from like my childhood versus these are my adult friends versus this is my work friends versus these are my running buddies, right? Because I have them in my life for very different reasons, we don't always see eye to eye on this thing. So it's really interesting that you said it that way. But I also want to know, you know, we talk a little bit about beliefs, right? Like you have different beliefs than I do. But at what point are you are you having a conversation about different beliefs versus you're putting someone down for what their view is? Having your own beliefs in as separate from anyone else's is very healthy as well. It's really the idea that we can be our own person, our own individual person. And when we come together as a group, we can also have conversations about things as a group. So that, that is a very healthy dynamic. Um, when we find ourselves having different beliefs and that it's, what I always look for is patterns, right? So if you do this once or twice with an acquaintance, someone you don't know very well, and there are more pros to having them not in your life than cons, it makes sense. But if this is going to be a consistent pattern of something that continues on, that's really concerning. You know, it, it's concerning to be so set in your ways to not budge at all. But it's healthy to have some, like we said, the non-negotiable topics where I'm not going to move and that's okay. And you have topics where you're not going to move and that's okay. In this gray area, we have topics that, you know, we could talk about, we could not talk about. I love that you brought up things like politics and religion because they are such hot topics. And one of the hard, one of the things I've seen across the board with all families is that a lot of times when there was a division, then we, they couldn't even talk about it at all. It was almost like you couldn't even touch it. It was such a hot topic. On some level, if it works for your family, sure. But if you really want to get an idea of where your family members are coming from, Sometimes it's ego and we have to really get an idea of, is this more of my ego that I want to be right versus do I really care about my family member? And I really want to listen, even if it doesn't change my beliefs. I know my beliefs. 
do I want to just know where they're coming from? Yeah, I think we can add um, COVID and vaccines to the list of hot topics that yes. are divisionary. Yeah, right. Um, what happens when somebody's crossed the line, right? They've gone too far. How do you let them know that they've done that? And how do you move forward from that point? That goes straight down to boundaries. You know, depending on how close the person is, let's say it's it's someone in our inner circle, a family member, very close friend. It's common to say, you know, that was really hurtful. And this is why this is what I want to share with you. Because if someone that you choose to be in that close circle of yours should be this reciprocal relationship where if they share something with you about if they were hurt or you share something with them that you were hurt, there should be this reciprocal element to it where both parties love and care about each other so much that you you apologize, you want to make it better, you want to grow, and you want to meet each other halfway. Outside of that circle, we have friends, and then we have acquaintances, and we have um, people who we, we don't really know, maybe on social media. Those are the people we really want to get an idea of. Is this worth having a battle with this person? Is this like a topic that I know I'm going to stay away from because I, I don't want to change my beliefs? Maybe they don't want to, and that's okay. It, what it really comes down to is we really have to think about how much stress does it add on you and the other person if you are both set in your ways and you continue to have that fight, just like the, the two people that you mentioned. It's stress on both parties, and it could be stress that we don't have to deal with if we just know how to pick them, how to pick our battles. I think some of it comes down to also what we're conditioned to do, right? So like, I'm going to give you an example. I had a family member who we just disagreed constantly, and it was just, it was very dramatic, and it was a lot of turmoil. And she decided she wanted to be friends with me on social. She wanted to talk to me at family meetings, whatever. That's fine. I was like, nope, I can't. We're family. We have to be connected, right? It's been like the best two years of my life, literally. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but it's like there is no drama. There's no frustration. There's no this. I can still see pictures of the kids. That's totally fine. But like, I felt like, no, I have to keep trying to be friends with you. And I have to keep trying to have these conversations because we're related but you don't. And I think those are things we as a society need to start understanding is that you don't have to be best friends with the people you work with. You don't have to associate with your family outside if they're not good for your mental health. Like, how do we start teaching people that? I love that you brought up the example because I think it goes back to what we were just talking about in terms of how you pick you know, the people in your life based on your values or what you really um, want to have shared with this person. So if you're only only relationship with this person, the only pro and the only thing that's keeping you together is that your family. I would really think a little more about are there is there more that this relationship is adding to your life to enhance your life other than the fact that it's just family, that you, you just happen to be in the same family? Is there more benefit that you're getting from them? Are there any enjoyable memories? You know, think about these people and how they enhance the quality of your life versus are the people who are taking away from that. Like you said, when you took that break, you were having a great time without the drama, without the stress. We always think about pros and cons, right? Is this person just because they're family doesn't necessarily mean that we don't get to choose. And that's the part where people get stuck to is if they say, well, it's family, I can't say anything. Then you start to feel trapped. You start to feel like you don't have enough control. But remember, even if they're family, you always get to choose because you always get a chance to set boundaries. You always get a chance to say, that hurt me and see how they respond and see if they're willing to work with you. So I think everything's all interconnected. So everything that we're talking about, I love how it comes full circle. 
Well, I kind of want to dig in on what you said earlier too about, you know, we know sometimes that things are going to be challenging. We know there's going to be hot topics. So how do we have a conversation with somebody or what, what frame of reference do we go in? What mindset do we go into when we know it's going to be a conflict, but we know we need to have the conversation? What are the tips you'd give somebody for how to approach that type of a situation? What's really good in relationships and couples counseling, they do this all the time, is they will set structured rules. If you are going to walk into a conversation that you know you're both going to have and it's going to be difficult, what are some rules you can both agree on? For instance, um, on a scale of one to 10, I love the scale, right? So if 10 is we're completely enraged and we need to leave the environment, at what point for both of us do we know it's maybe it's time to take a break from the conversation? If we get if either one of us get to maybe a seven and it's getting a little too heated, can we take a five minute break? Can we round back? You know, if it's getting too heated, do we need to pause and have this conversation later? Are there certain rules that you feel comfortable for some people and for some dynamics? They don't like it when anyone leaves the room, right? So if we take a break, maybe we stay in the room instead of leaving the room because leaving the room can mean you're leaving me. And so whatever rules that you both feel comfortable with and walking into this conversation and are there topics within the topics, like subtopics that are maybe things that you don't want to talk about. Maybe you're not ready to, maybe you, you will, but maybe we'll talk about it at another time because I wouldn't expect if you're going to have a difficult conversation to cram it all into 20 minutes or an hour, it should be something that should be discussed over time and with the safety of the rules so that each person has the ability to say, I'm getting too overwhelmed. I need to take a break. That's great advice. What happens if it's not just one-on-one, right? It's not just you and I, but maybe it's you, me and a cousin or three friends or whatever. What happens if it becomes like a two against one situation? How do you handle that if you're the twos and how do you handle that if you're the one? That's a great question. It, again, I think it depends on how close you are to the twos and the ones. I think it depends on the relationship that you have. A big part of it too is sometimes when it gets so heated and and to be honest, sometimes we wait a little too long until we're already all heated and then it gets really out of hand. So a big part of it too could know your limits. You know, if you start to know that you're you're feeling like maybe you're ganged up on or you're feeling like you're on the attacking side, know your limits. Know Walk in with any conversation knowing what your intention is. What's your goal? So is your goal to be able to share information or is your goal to tell them that they're wrong and that their idea is stupid? You know, it depends on what your goal is. But usually we can usually tell what the other person's goal is by where they stand in the conversation. If they continue to reinforce, 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 and they're not open or versus if they are wanting to know our side. So you can walk into a conversation knowing what kind of, I guess, a fight stance they would have if they're open to hearing you, if they are on the offensive and really plan accordingly. If you are walking into a conversation and you know that they are going to be more offensive, then we have to know our limits. We have to know that when we we need to walk away. I don't want to put you on the spot, but are there like words that we should avoid when we're having a conflict or a disagreement or words that we should try to use? Like earlier, you said, tell somebody that hurt me, right? Are there things let's talk about the good things. What are the words maybe we should use or the emotions or the strategies that we should use to have a positive experience when we have a disagreement? One of the best things we can do is we separate the person, their identity, who they are versus their behaviors. I'm not liking that you said that is a behavior versus I'm not liking you is attacking who they are. right. So we want to separate. This is their behavior. This is what they're saying. This is their opinion. But 
their who they are as a person, their values, um, their beliefs could be similar, could be different, but it, it really the idea is opinions are ever changing. And if we start to separate what they say versus who they are, you're going to have a more productive conversation than to attack someone for who they are. That's really the the biggest hurt that I've seen from these conversations is they will take opinions of someone and will generalize it to that's who you are. So you're a terrible person for having that opinion. So it's one of the most deepest hurt that anyone can experience in these types of conversations. Before we move on, let me ask you a question. What happens if you're in a situation where you've decided you don't want to have the conversation anymore, right? Like it hurts, whatever. And the person will not give in, right? They follow you room to room, they whatever, or you're, you're not around, but they keep texting you, whatever. How do you just extricate yourself from that situation? Like, what are your strategies for that type of an environment? It, it really sounds if if they're at borderline harassment at that point, you know, we we do not engage with that. We do not indulge in any of that because at that point, they're not wanting to hear what you have to say. They're at, the, at that point, they're attacking you. So if, they, if it's gotten to the point where it's so severe, they're following you around or they can't stop texting you at that point, we do not engage because that, at that point, it's just a one-way conversation that they're just having with themselves and you are the audience to it. And we do not support any of that. We do not engage in any of that unless it's a two-way street, unless they also want to have a very productive conversation about it, then we'll talk about it. But if they are bombarding you with messages and what they think and attacking you, we do not want to engage in that in any any way, shape, or form. Ah, that is amazing advice. Um, well, going back a step, what are there words to avoid? Are there things that we should think about when we know that we're going to have a conflict situation, like never say I don't know, hundred percent, or I'm always right, or whatever. Are there words that we want to avoid, or are there trigger words that will cause somebody to kind of take it to the next level? I will tell you um, words specifically that'll vary, but we look for themes. So if you're talking to someone and the theme is, let's say they're very black and white or all or nothing, and it's it's things like always or they or they won't budge. So we're looking for these themes and these behavioral patterns. We're looking for if they're able to talk about things from a gray area standpoint to have a really productive conversation. We're looking for the way they are responding to you. Is it through respect? Is it through you know passive aggressive comments? Uh, is it through insults? You know, we're looking for these these communication patterns because it's the patterns that's really going to tell us what's going on. So a lot of times, what we want to avoid when we talk about this is we want to avoid. Um, one, attacking someone, of course, but we also want to make sure that if we pick up on a pattern that someone is not going to have a productive conversation, they're going to attack us. We want to make sure that we are going to nip that in the bud as soon as possible. If you know this conversation is not going to end well and you are at any point you can stop it, it's probably for the best that you do. It's going to save you a lot of stress and it's going to be something that you don't want to carry around. Are there any things that we need to consider when it comes to like age, right? Like arguing with an elderly person versus arguing with a child. Are there things that we should be thinking about as we're having these conflicts or as they arise? I always think about age and I, I always compare that to the needs that we have at each age. You know, a child has different needs than a person in their 70s. I would really think about if you are having this conversation with someone and you consider their age, I wonder what their needs are at this stage in their life. You know, as if you're in your 20s, your needs are friendship, connection, belongingness. If you're in your 30s or 40s and so on, your needs are more so family-based. And so I would be really curious 
to talk about more so of the needs and see what, again, we pick up on patterns, right? So what are their needs that tie back to these reoccurring themes that come up? You know, is it that in your 20s, you have the need of friendship and belongingness. So you are agreeing with everyone and what they say more often because it meets your need of belonging to a group. Whereas maybe when you're older and you don't have that need necessarily, but you have more of a family need and you accommodate that more so to your family, not wanting to be isolated from them. I always think patterns are so interesting because we can always think about what's the right thing to say, what's the wrong thing to say. But if we think about the behavior patterns, we will always find it. We'll always find the right thing to say and the wrong thing to say and the helpful thing to say, because if we always pick up behavior patterns and we can read people and we know where we are ourselves, we can always find what to say that we feel good about. This is going to sound so silly to you, but you're talking about this and I'm thinking, why don't I see behavior patterns? And I'm thinking, I do with my dogs. I can tell when one's going to be aggressive. I can tell when one's fearful. Like I know what's going to trigger that. It's interesting that I don't necessarily see people that way. And I have to be honest with you. I 100% want to see the world the way you do because you have compassion, you have empathy, but you're very pragmatic about it too. I think it's amazing. So I I love the way you think. I love it. But you know Um, what's really interesting about that, Mary, is yes, we do see it in animals. One of the things I think in humans that we have a hard time with is when we feel attacked, if we feel any type of intense emotion, it overrides our logic. And it overrides our ability to see behaviors. I always liken it to if you ever see, um, if you've seen a scary movie at home, and logically you know you're in a safe place, you know the doors are locked, you know the movie's not real. But when you watch a scary movie, you feel this sense of fear, and it overrides all logic. And I think it's interesting because compared to animals, right, we're not having the same interaction. Whereas humans. I think humans can elicit this intensity of emotions that override all of our logic and our ability to look for those behavior patterns. So it's harder. It's interesting too, because like if I'm having a disagreement with somebody and they get aggressive, I tend to get aggressive as well. But if I'm having an interaction with an animal who gets aggressive, I'm very calm, very passive. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's a very different experience. You've got me thinking in a whole different direction. We might have to have a whole nother show around this. Um, I know that we're almost out of time, but you know, I like to end every conversation with what's the one thing we didn't cover or what's the takeaway you want people to walk away from this conversation with? I would just want everyone to know conflict isn't bad. Conflict is part of everyday life, but the more we think it's bad, the more when it happens, we feel bad. And if we normalize it as normal as, you know, if you break your leg, you're going to be in a cast. It makes sense. That's just the process of it. It's normal. If we normalize conflict, we, we won't beat ourselves up when it happens. We don't have to feel like we're on the offense or the defense. When we normalize conflict in that way, we see it as a very normal part of everyday life. It doesn't mean it's good or bad. We are not good or bad. It just means that, okay, if we have conflict, I'm just going to work on A, B, and C. I'm going to know my limits. I'm going to know when to walk away, depending on how close this person is to me. I'm going to gauge if this is worth a battle to have right now, not to say not ever, but right now in my state of mind. So it gets you to be more in tune with yourself. As soon as you say, conflict is okay to have. If I have conflict, this is what I'm going to do. It's a whole different perspective. Well, thank you, Anna, for joining us today on Let's Talk Mental Health. We look forward to continuing this important conversation around mental health and wellness with more experts from Providence in our future episodes. Make sure to listen to all of our shows on Dash Radio under the Future of Health radio station or on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on social media. We can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and on Instagram under Providence Health Systems. To learn more about our mission programs and services, visit Providence.org. 
And please remember, the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult a healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. So thanks for listening today. And remember, at Providence, we see the life in you.